This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Most of you listening out there have probably heard the old line, we reserve the right to refuse service to anyone. It has been seen in many stores across the United States over the years, but a restaurant owner in Maine may be taking it to another level. Ann Verrill is the owner of Grace Restaurant in Portland, Maine, and also the Foreside Tavern in Falmouth, Maine. She made news by stating that if you are an AR-15 assault rifle owner, then she doesn't want your business. She's making this statement in the wake of all the shootings we have seen in the last several years, obviously the most recent one being in Orlando. Anne joins us on the phone, as does Wharton Assistant Professor Amy Sepinwall. She's from the Legal Studies and Business Ethics Department and in studio with us, Wharton Marketing Professor Americus Reed. First, Anne, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Amy, great to have you as well. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. Americus, as always, good to see you, my friend. Always a pleasure to be here, Dan. Thank you. Uh, Anne, I'll uh, start with you. I guess I think we understand the why, but but how do you actually have this play out in your restaurants? Well, I think, you know, people latched on to the whole ban concept without really realizing that, obviously, I don't know if you have one at home. Right. And I don't, I'm not going to frisk you on your way in. However, it was more of a statement of... I completely disagree with this. I am so saddened by the events that are in America. And if this is your way of thinking and you are one of the people standing in between me and responsible gun laws, then I don't want you here. And you would be probably more happy spending your money somewhere else anyway. So it was more of a, of a statement to, to sort of lend my support to responsible gun control laws and for people to understand that I had just had enough. And I guess in this day and age, any time that, that any kind of story comes forth about guns or gun law or, or the ability to own a gun, it's going to, it's going to make news. And, and you made this statement and probably didn't expect to get as much attention as you probably have been receiving. Not at all. <laughs> yeah. What has been the reaction like? I mean, I guess there are people that are supporting you and then there are people that are, that are against your decision. There are. It's, it's really an interesting um, sort of study of my own to, to watch. When I first posted the Facebook post, it was like a torrent of, uh, of complete, like, crazy, crazy, crazy reactions where people said terrible things, you know, never stepped foot in my restaurant, uh, were from all over the country, and it was immediate. Um, and then, you know, fast forward a month, and then the New York Times does it, and the reaction is completely the opposite. It's over-the-top positive. It's so much more calm, respectful questions, even from people who didn't agree with me. So it's really interesting how um, sort of the media played out in that circumstance. Amy, the interesting thing, I guess, is is in some respects, this is the problem with this whole issue, is that Anne is making a, a personal statement, not a, not a political one, uh, about a particular type of gun, yet when you think about the culture that we have here in the United States, it is seen as, and it's obviously played out in the political uh, realm that we've seen, as, you know, somebody is taking something away from me. Uh, I think that's right. I mean, um, 
one of the uh, sort of immediate objections that people raise is, well, wait a minute, if you're going to be allowed to deny service to um, people who own a certain kind of gun, how are we then going to be able to condemn the baker or the photographer who wants to deny service to the gay couple who's getting married? And one line of response is, well, you know, um, being gay or lesbian is a central aspect of a person's identity in the way that gun ownership isn't. Um, but if that were true, I don't think you'd see the kind of vehement pushback that Anne got, right? So there are a lot of gun owners who take gun ownership to be quite central to their identity, to their conception of what it means to be an American, to their commitment to liberty as they envision that commitment. Um, so, you know, again, trying to draw the line between discriminating against someone on the basis of their status or their identity and then discriminating against someone on the basis of the quote-unquote choices they choose to make, that's a blurry line at times which is something that and that you're you're not realistically doing at this point you're not you're not trying to to uh, to d- discriminate against people no and i can't i mean if somebody comes in super honestly and has an assault rifle with them then certainly i'm going to send them on their way <laughs> however other than that there's no way for me to tell and again you know it comes down to me making a stand not me you know sitting there and actually denying service and and the whole the whole Baker situation drives me absolutely crazy. I've had probably 400 emails about that. And, you know, being gay or the color of your skin or the many other things that, that puts you in a protected class is totally opposite than the choice to own a gun, and not just a gun, the choice to own an assault rifle. And so that entire argument just drives me absolutely crazy. And, you know, I think it's apples and oranges. This is America's um, uh, in the studio with Dan. Just a question on this: Why? So, so it sounds like what you're saying then is that there is something that has to do with your inability to choose the action that is related to the, your responsibility in responding to someone is who is in support or not in support of that action. Is that is that the argument? I'm sorry, you're talking to me or America? Ann, go Anne. ahead, Dan. Oh, yes, Ann. Um, you know, I, I hesitate to, to lump it like that because I'm not saying that you can't think a certain way and that you you currently can't possess that firearm. My problem is that at this point in our society, something has to change. Mm-hmm. And if you're one of those people who believe vehemently that nothing should change, then I, I just can't, I can't accept that. <laughs> and so... If you are honestly standing in the way of real change, then I, I don't I don't even want to deal with you because in a restaurant and in a bar, you're in a very specific environment in which people feel like they can say and do anything and that you're supposed to sit there and give them service with a smile. So as I'm standing behind my bar and I'm hearing the most ridiculous things coming out of people's mouths, I've just grinned and, and said nothing for years and years and years and years and years. And so now I'm saying something. So what was it that 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 actually was there a tipping point for you, Anne? That that really caused you to to come out and make this statement like this? Oh, absolutely. The night before Orlando, my restaurant Grace, um, for our third year in a row, shut the restaurant down and had a the kickoff to our Pride Week in Portland. Okay. And so the entire restaurant was filled with 300 gay and 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 other people that supported uh, Pride, and they had a dance party for 
four hours. And then the next night was Orlando. So I was in a position that was no different from that beautiful club that was then shot up. And it was so close to home. And it was literally back to back. And I was just done. 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. We're talking with Ann Verrill, who is the owner of Grace Restaurant in Portland, Maine, also the Foresight Tavern in Falmouth, Maine. Again, 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Uh, Ann, outside of the back and forth, I guess, that you've seen on social media, uh, have you seen any reaction at your restaurant specifically? Has somebody come up to you and said, hey, you know, I really do support you or that, uh, yes. hey, I, I disagree with what you said? Uh, the only actual physical uh, reaction we've gotten is support. Not one person has actually physically come in and been negative in any way, uh, which is incredibly heartwarming and pretty amazing. We've had people from all over the country and outside of the country who have come in and specifically said that the reason they were there um, was because they wanted to support it. So it's a quick question for you. So, uh, you know, one argument against this, and I'm just playing devil's advocate here, is to say that, is to make the argument, first of all, I'm super impressed. I think that it's pretty clear that the restaurant business is a very difficult business uh, to be in. Uh, and so to take this kind of a stance is, is quite, uh, is, is quite uh, impressive. But I'm wondering to what extent you would respond to someone who would argue that, you know, this is not really the forum to do this. In other words, you know, what you were expressing, those beliefs are perfectly plausible, uh, but there are other channels through which you can uh, express those beliefs and create change. And it doesn't necessarily have to be in the context of denying patronage to people uh, in your own restaurant, even though, of course, it is your restaurant and you can do whatever you want. But how, how would you respond to that kind of, that kind of line of thinking? I would agree with part of it. I mean, there are other things that I'm doing. You know, I'm volunteering um, with our gun ballot initiative here in Maine. Um, and, and like I think a lot of people's crutch is, you know, I'm, I'm sharing Facebook stuff and I'm talking to my friends and I'm talking to my community. But when you're in such a small and insulated area, you're basically always with people who believe what you believe anyway. So mm -hmm. to get mm -hmm. outside of the box, you have to find a larger forum. Mm -hmm. And so I used the thing that was the largest that I had. Mm -hmm. The the question, the next question I'll have uh, for you, Anne, is uh, is the fact that uh, you're making this uh, this statement, and Maine right now is an open carry state. Yeah, and it's frightening. It's all get out. Okay. You will remind me of that on a daily basis. <laughs> right. Exactly. And I wanted to kind of ask you your stance on on that open carry. And obviously, I think we we understand which side of the side of the fence exactly. that, that you land on that. And you can probably imagine that I don't love my governor either. But <laughs> uh, you know, forty percent of guns in Maine are sold by uh, in private sales, which requires zero background checks. And we have an open carry law, so we have in in theory we could have forty percent of the gun-owning population in Maine openly carrying guns that they received with absolutely no background check whatsoever. And that is frightening, so frightening. And I've met with people who are part of gun clubs, and I've met with people who are hardcore hunters. I have friends who collect guns. I have friends who have hunted since they were children. That's, that's a, a different scenario in which, by and large, they talk about how important it is to have checks, to have licenses, to be responsible, to know from a young age 
how to treat this weapon like it is a lethal weapon. Um, And then we have a state that has, you know, anybody who wants to get their hands on a gun and has money can get one. Mm. And, And that scares me. In my own town, a man bought a gun and shot his own mother in the head the day after he went to Cabela's to buy it, and they refused it because he was acting crazy. The next day he went back and he found another person to buy it from and did and then shot his own mother in the back of the head. I mean, it just, it's, the the entire culture is so frightening. 844-942-7866 is the number if you'd like to jump in and ask a question or uh, provide a comment. We're speaking with Ann Verrill, who is the owner of Grace Restaurant in Portland, Maine, and uh, as well the Foreside Tavern in in Falmouth. Also with us, Wharton Assistant Professor Amy Sepinwall and uh, Wharton Marketing Professor Americus Reed. Uh, Amy, as as you hear this story play out, I mean, this is... This is uh, this is a very. I'm kind of taken aback a little bit about you know this whole process that we're in right now because uh, it is such a a, a a a an important topic here in the United States uh, and around the world with all of the violence that we are seeing right now. I mean, I think that's exactly right, um, and I should say that I'm deeply sympathetic both to Anne's position and to the more general proposition that business owners should be able to enact their um, political or ideological commitments within their workplace, right? I mean, these are not convictions that I think you have to leave at home. Um, And I think especially when you're doing something like running a restaurant, um, you know, I imagine, Anne, that you're putting your blood, sweat, and tears into this. This is your creative energy, and you don't want to have to be serving people who have adopted a position that you find hateful. And I um, completely see the force of that. Um, and, you know, some of this is responsive to Americus's question about whether the business place is the right place to be enacting um, political convictions. And as I've just suggested, I think it very much should be among the places where people are allowed to live out their convictions. Um, but Anne, you also said something really interesting about sort of ideological segregation and the way in which most of us are um, surrounded only by people who share our sensibilities. Um, and I think that's true. Um, and at the same time, I think it maybe suggests that if we try to exclude people who don't share our sensibilities from um, our businesses or from other public fora, we actually just risk perpetuating that um, isolation, right? So we don't get to encounter the people who have different viewpoints um, from us. And maybe there's something appealing about that sometimes, but maybe there's also a kind of loss in the prospect for dialogue or rapprochement that you would encounter if you did, in fact, have to interact more frequently with people who didn't share your viewpoint about, you know, these matters around which there is a lot of controversy. That's an excellent point. Um, I think that the, that when you come into the restaurant, I'm very, very busy working. And so we're not going to have that, that back and forth. Um, I can tell you that I've spent hours and hours and hours at this point having back and forth. So I think I've actually had more conversations in, in respectful ways and that have opened my own mind um, and hopefully theirs since this happened, you know, both in person with people that we take the, we carve the time out to do it with and then over email and over the phone. And I don't think necessarily the conversation would have ever been started if I was like, hey, everybody who super believes in salt rifles, come on in, we're going to 
sit at table 35 and hash this out. I don't, I just don't think it would have ever happened in the same way. Yeah, it's right. very, sorry, this is, uh, this is America's quick question. Uh, what I think is interesting about this from a marketing perspective is to try to understand, you know, the, the business model versus, or, or I guess you'd say the economic rationale for doing this versus the moral rationale. And clearly the moral rationale is what's weighing heavily uh, for you, Anne. But a question that that is kind of interesting out there is, what have your competitors uh, done about this? Like, has there been a reaction from from not only your competitors, competitors, but your peers? So in other words, you know, you can imagine someone coming and saying, well, since you're going to essentially say you're, you're not going to welcome those customers, I'm going to welcome those customers uh, in a stance that is the opposite of yours and say, hey, you know, I, I want to be supportive of the Second Amendment, Amendment and things like that. Have you seen anything like that? Have you seen like a kind of a competitive market dynamic that might be going on? That, no, I actually, I've, I've been surprised that I've heard almost no way in from anybody in my industry. Mm-hmm. Not like positive, negative, you know, for, against, neutral, nothing. I've heard nothing. Interesting. Which is kind of interesting. Um, but I also think that, again, 95% of this has happened on Facebook. So uh, mm. for every 1,000 people who say something nasty, there's maybe one person who actually physically walks into the building. So I, maybe, you know, maybe my industry in Maine just doesn't think this is that big of a deal. But the other interesting aspect of this, because this relates a little bit to my research that I do here at Wharton, because I do a lot of work on identity and how people form a perception of what it is they think they are and how they enact that perception in the real world. And you mentioned earlier that you, you sort of pushed back against the idea that a gun owner has an identity that is uh, plausible in the same way that someone who uh, claims to be a member uh, of the gay community uh, would claim to have an identity. And the research actually shows that although, you know, there isn't kind of, you can't make the kind of same, uh, you know, philosophical argument, you can make the same social psychological argument that indeed, you know, there is a group of people out there for better or for worse who grew up, you know, in a family where, guess what, dad was hunting, they were taken out, you know, they they shot guns in the yard, and, it, and it's part of this thing that they grew up doing that's just as part of their identity, perhaps they didn't choose it, uh, but just as part of their identity as, you know, someone who feels like they are affiliated with the gay community. So how, how would you respond to that in saying that, well, listen, I, I'm going to you know, support this one identity-sided argument, but not the other? Well, I think, well, first of all, I believe that, that being homosexual is a biological situation. So right there, that's a little different. Um, as far as, as believing guns are a part of their everyday life, there's a whole host of other guns that you can hunt with and you can target shoot with, and you can sit in the backyard with your eight generations of parents and grandparents and still have that same cultural identity. Mm-hmm. I don't know that you can't give up one class of weapons and lose all of that. You know, that's like saying, well, my mom brought me up to believe that, you know, whatever, that butter is terrible for you. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and then you become an adult and somebody, t- you know, like, it's just, it's one of those things where you, you can adapt. You can say, for the greater so, good, I'm going to say, okay, it's cool. I don't need that anymore. Mm-hmm. And I've talked to a lot of friends who have a lot of guns, and I've said to them, if the government came down and said, you can have all your other ones, mm-hmm. but we're just going to draw a line, 
by and large, every one of them say, oh, God, yeah, absolutely. If they found out that that would solve any problems or create any less danger, sure. Mm-hmm. It, you know, so I just, I, I don't see, I, I, don't, I personally don't see that argument in the way that it's definitely been presented to me several times before. Right. Amy, so, I think you wanted to ask a question before. Go yeah. ahead. Uh, well, actually, I'm going to um, push back on uh, the idea that um, we can make distinctions among what pieces of the identity can be given up uh, relative to others, because the response you might be likely to face in the context of the baker who refuses to bake a cake um, for a gay couple who's getting married is, yeah, being gay is a crucial part of your identity, and I respect that, but you don't need a wedding cake. Um, and so where I think um, the distinction that you're trying to make, Anne, may have more traction is in pointing not to the fact that, you know, this should be a dispensable part of your identity, but to the fact that owning these assault rifles puts others at extreme risk in a way that, um, you know, having a gay wedding doesn't put anyone at risk. Or more generally, the gun ownership case is a case where we have to worry about third-party harms. Um, the person who opposes gay marriage is... Uh, opposing uh, an activity that really doesn't have negative effects on anyone else. And that's also a law. (laughs) You know, the Supreme Um, Court said they can get married. is a law, but the right to refuse service to... uh, There's no right that gays and lesbians have under federal law uh, for equal access to public accommodations. Right, so I, I, I think the argument can be wanna. made, though, that they, they fall into protection under the Civil Rights Act. I mean, that's been upheld several times at this point. That, so you know. uh, it really depends on um, uh, the nature of the activity from which they might be excluded and also the jurisdiction. So, again, under federal law, gays and lesbians are not a protected class, and we might think that that's wrong. Um, but it's just a matter of fact about what the law says. Um, there are many states and municipalities that have their own anti-discrimination laws that do extend to um, gays and lesbians. And, and, all of that to say that we don't necessarily want to have the content of the law determine our um, principles here, because it may be that the law doesn't go far enough. And is there is there any concern on your part that you could see some sort of, of action against you or against your restaurants down the road because of this. I think I saw in an article you mentioned about because I guess the the gay pride parade in Portland was basically right after what happened in Orlando that you were concerned about the uh, right about the the uh, the the possibility of something happening to, I guess, a child, one of your children, mm-hmm. something like that, right around that same time? Yeah, my daughter usually marches in the parade with her aunt, and I wouldn't allow it this year because I was just too concerned about a large crowd gathering in the street, which kind of prompted the whole thing, was that I had sort of gotten to that place with America, that I was worried about that. Um, I don't I don't really fear a lawsuit. Um, I know that people can sue for anything. Uh, I don't. I haven't actually denied service yet, um, so maybe that's why I'm less fearful. Right. Um, but I also, you know, I, I think to a certain level this this will blow over and become somebody else's 15 minutes. Um, and also, if that was what drove the choices I make in my life from a moral standpoint, then I don't know. 
When would I ever say anything? Right. What would you like to hopefully see happen? I mean, part part of this is obviously, I I think we all agree here that the AR-15 is something that that shouldn't be out in public, period. Uh, So, I I mean, I think... Believe me, we don't all agree that. Oh, really? (laughs) I mean... The, the, the greater landscape of Americans don't necessarily right. agree with that at all. Exactly. No, I'm heard I'm, some lots of them. I'm just I'm just saying within our group of four people here. <laughs> uh, correct. Yes, I, I know there are probably a lot of people that believe that the AR-15 is is something that they can have in their backyard and 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 shoot watermelons with or shoot uh, tin cans <laughs> off the off the fence post with, which I think is is crazy for to zombies. begin. Some of them actually believe they're arming themselves for zombies. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So. I mean, I guess the the be all end all here is is that with with your statement, even though it's not a political statement, at some respects you're hoping that there will be a political statement down the road. Yes, I hope the ballot initiative passes in Maine, and I hope the conversation is opened up hugely and becomes at the forefront of of what all Americans want to see happen in the next election, in their state and local elections. I want something done. I want, you know, I want to see my children's life actually become safer. Sure. Absolutely. And so if, you know, I'm the tiniest part of that conversation, then that was the goal. And great to have you on the show. Greatly appreciate your time. All the best to you with the, with the restaurants up there in Maine. Thank you so much. Thank you, Anne. Greatly appreciate it. Amy, thank you again for joining us. Greatly appreciate uh, you uh, giving us a little bit of your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. As always, my friend, good to see you, Mayor Ericus. Good to see you too, sir. Great conversations when you come in here. I appreciate it. No question. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.